You're listening to the Boise Community Church Podcast. We desire to be a people who are following Jesus authentically and missionally. For more information, please visit boisecommunitychurch.org. With that, let's pray as we turn to the book of Galatians chapter 1. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you that we have the opportunity to... uh, study your word, that your word speaks to us and meets us in such a deep and powerful way. Lord, that we know that this book speaks not only just to our moral behavior, but it's, it's the cure for our hearts and for our souls. And so, Jesus, we do, we, we give ourselves to you this morning and we worship you this morning as we open your word. May you speak to us, Lord. May you... Holy Spirit, work in the lives of your people. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a couple of quick facts, because I'm a pastor and we're starting the book. Um, And I just, I don't know what it is about us, but you feel like we need to always give you an intro to a book. Um, The book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. It was probably written around 50 A.D., And this letter was written to the churches that were located in Galatia. So that's why, hence why it's called Galatians, Um, which that area is modern day Turkey. So if you go to modern day Turkey, you can probably go and check out the area where the church in Galatia met. Um, And something that I think is important for us as we read this book is this book was written to the church. It's not a a book that's written to non-believers. It's not a book that's written to try to convert people. But it was written specifically to followers of Jesus and calling them into a deeper and more rich life to, to kind of refocus them in a way. And so I want to say this really clearly. I believe this was a book that was written for you and I that called Jesus our Lord and Savior. And so... My challenge and encouragement to you as we go through this study is to read through the book of Galatians every week. It takes roughly 20 minutes straight through to to read through in one sitting. And I'm a very slow reader, so if I can do it, you can totally do it. Uh, But with that, let's, let's open God's word together. Galatians chapter one, verse one. Paul, an apostle sent from men Sorry, sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Verse 10, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life, of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, which is Paul, or not Paul, sorry, Peter, uh, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. The only... They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us persecuted us, is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. The word of the Lord. <coughs> As I prepared for our, our study in these coming weeks through the book of Galatians, the thing that Paul really brings to bear in this book and, and what he's really leaning into in the very beginning is he's saying that we have an authentic gospel. And it's, it should have this real tangible effect in our minds, in our hearts, and in our lives. And when Paul wrote this letter, it was honestly very similar, you know, as I was reading and kind of reading some of the history of what was going on in the, in the church and the world in this time, it, it reminded me of the current day we, we live in. When Paul wrote this letter, the church was insanely divided. A lot of, essentially over race, the Jews and the non-Jews, a.k.a. the Gentiles. The question really was, what really does a non-Jew need to do to be welcomed into the church? Because Jesus was the fulfillment of the Jewish faith, is what they were preaching. And so they would look at these Gentiles that were coming to faith and they would say, well, don't you need to do all these extra things? And Paul was saying, no, that's not, that's not the case. But it, it was a place, there was a divide around race. And the, there was a divide around the scriptures. And there was a, they were just a very uh, fractured people. And I think if all of us were really honest about what we see in the United States, we are a fractured people for the most part. I don't know anyone that's like, we are just doing really good right now. But what's interesting is what Paul's after in this book is he's, he's not pointing at these things saying, hey, you guys just need to find unity. You guys just need to like sync up and be good. But instead what he's doing is he's saying, no, I want, I want to bring you back to the core of what's really important. Because people were stirring up the community with this mindset of, why should we listen to Paul? He's ignoring some of our ancient customs. He's no longer really a true Jew. These Gentiles are not being asked to keep the Sabbath. You know, they're not being circumcised. They're not eating according to Jewish dietary laws. 
what Paul was experiencing in the writing of this book, and you'll kind of see it a little bit in this first chapter, he's defending himself and he's defending the gospel. There's almost a tinge of, of annoyance and frustration in him. Because what he's saying is he's saying, I'm authentic. My apostleship didn't come from man. But Paul wasn't seen as authentic. Paul was seen as too liberal. Because even though he was a man who had been raised under the strictest form of Pharisaism and had all the academic accolades and the fanfare and all the different things, and he had once been the guy that was persecuting the early church and the people of the way, but because he preached a gospel that all could come to Jesus and receive forgiveness of their sins and have the ability to truly become a child of God by simply faith alone. People wrestled with that. They were like, that doesn't make sense. In our day today, in you know, 2022, we're like, yeah, that's the gospel. We just come and we believe and you know, we, that's, that's how we come to faith. But that wasn't the case for the Jews. And that's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant, it was, you follow God's laws and you will be blessed. And if you don't follow God's laws, there will be consequences. But in the New Covenant, by Jesus going to the cross and dying and rising again, he says, I've, I've dealt with sin. All you need to do is come to me. And this is really interesting, though, because the gospel does. It comes to all. And the thing I want us to ask ourselves this morning is, do we really believe that? I remember there was a time I was sharing the gospel with one of my best friends in high school. This was like right after I got saved. And he knew me. He knew who I was. He knew I liked to party and sleep around and do all these different things. And he couldn't understand why I wanted to go to church and become this follower of Jesus. And I talked to him and I told him my story. You know, I said, you know, I just feel really empty and I feel lonely and I, I just don't feel, I feel empty without purpose. I, I feel loved in this moment by this guy. And I, and I explained, I said, there's this gift of forgiveness. And all I have to do is commit my life to him and follow him. And I shared with my, this with my friend, and I'll never forget his response. It's like the weirdest experience I've ever had sharing the gospel with someone. And so he instantly turns and is looking at me, and he's like, so you believe that someone that murders someone can be forgiven by simply asking for forgiveness? And I'm like, Yeah. So someone that abuses children. And then he continued to name off like three or four more like horrific scenarios. And he's like, do you believe this? Do you believe that these people can still receive forgiveness of sins? By simply just calling on the name of the Lord and asking for forgiveness. And I was like, as long as it's, it's genuine and it's real, absolutely. And what ended up happening was, he said, I can't follow a God who forgives these kinds of people. And it, he just ended, he's like, you really believe this? And I was like, I do. I believe Jesus has given the ability for all to come to him when the Spirit makes their hearts come alive. Because he, he forgives us, not just for the sake of forgiving us, but he forgives us to give us a new life. And so Paul, in opening his letter, he wants to make it abundantly clear. We have an authentic gospel. 
And the word authentic simply means genuine, worthy of acceptance or belief as based on fact. Paul's apostleship was authentic. People were challenging Paul in his role as an apostle. And that role apostle, what it was, was it's a, it specifically means someone that is sent out. And so Paul was obviously sent out to plant churches and do these missionary journeys. And those are usually the people that we would consider apostles today, would be the people that are like church planters, missionaries, people that are walking in those kind of callings and roles. Uh, but Paul's title wasn't given to him by a man. He wasn't sent out or given this gospel because... You know, he read it in a book somewhere and decided, hey, I'm going to follow this. It wasn't a democracy type of situation where he was voted into this role or anything like that. Instead, Paul's apostleship came from God himself. Paul's ability to understand the gospel came from Jesus himself. Some of you know that story in the book of Acts where Paul is walking down the road or riding on a horse down the road to Damascus. And he hears this, he has this bright light and he can't see. He goes blind and he hears this voice calling to him saying, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Who am I persecuting? And he says, I am Jesus. I am the Lord you are persecuting. And he, Paul gets led by hand by this other follower of Jesus that's told to go get him. And he sits in this room and prays for him. And he has this miraculous experience. But Paul is challenged for this. Even though his track record is that he is faithful beyond faithful. Because Paul was well educated and highly respected in the Jewish community originally. But he left all of that. He left all the accolades strictly to follow Jesus. And Paul's calling was authentic strictly because it came from God himself. It was genuine. It was the real deal. And not only was Paul's authority and role authentic, but so was the message that he preached. The gospel is not man-made, and that's what Paul's after in this, this section. He's saying it's not a cleverly designed thing by the disciples after Jesus was crucified. It wasn't just a pursuit for spiritual academics, but instead it was something that we can see woven throughout Scripture. <coughs> that God would come and save and redeem his people. <clears throat> this is the gospel that God saw and knew that no matter the effort of mankind, through rules, through spiritual practices, through rituals, we were unable to meet God's requirements. Sin had to be paid for with a perfect sacrifice. Sin and Satan and death needed to be defeated. So God being gracious and kind and loving, decides, I'm going to send my son. And as he comes, he comes born of a virgin and lives this perfect life and teaches people a new way to live, a new way to be human. And in his death, he would pay the price for sin once and for all. And in his resurrection, he would finally defeat both Satan and death once for all. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I know the gospel. I've heard the gospel. It doesn't matter. You still need to hear the gospel. You'll always need the gospel. Whether you've walked with Jesus for five minutes or 50 years. So many people in our day, we don't understand that we need this. 
But what the gospel actually brings to us, church, is that the gospel brings us grace and peace. Because many people in our day are, in, in this age are living lives that are chasing these empty pursuits. Financial goals, academic accolades, success in their careers, having that perfect family even, you know, or the, having the great job. But Jesus is calling us to something different because all those things I just lifted off, listed off, they're all things that we're chasing, trying to obtain. But what Jesus does is he doesn't say, I want you to run really hard and I want you to figure out how to get this. Because the gospel is different. The gospel doesn't say, I need you to do more. It also doesn't say, I need you to do less. Listen to what Jesus whispers to those of us that are his followers this morning. This is from Matthew chapter 18, or sorry, Matthew 11, verse 28 and 30. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The follower of Jesus, church, the, the child of God does not need to perform. We don't need to prove ourselves. Because for where you have failed and where you have made mistakes, there is grace. And for where you have accusations against you, whether that's somebody else actually accusing you or maybe it's your own heart. There's peace because the gospel does that. It brings both grace and it brings peace. It silences the accusation and it covers the offense. The gospel speaks to the one who is striving and tells them, remember who you are. That you are God's child and just to simply receive his love. The gospel speaks to the one who is weighed down with guilt and shame and says, remember what Jesus has done for you. Now go and live your new life. The thing about when something is authentic, church, is that it's just, it's that. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's not something you can find anywhere, anywhere else. What Paul's stating here is he's saying there is only one gospel. And in Paul's day and in ours, there are those who will pervert the gospel and those who will complicate the gospel. Listen to what Paul says, going back to Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And this verse 8, listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And they just continues to repeat that. In Paul's day, there were people that were adding on to the gospel. To be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, you needed to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and, and do these things. But you also needed to be circumcised. You also needed to make sure you were following the Jewish customs. And there are. There are people who will come preaching another gospel. There is, but there is only one. Paul makes this explicitly clear. You know, and look, if we look at verse 8 in that chapter, or in that, yeah, it, what it's saying there, if another angel preaches another gospel, 
What Paul's saying there is he's saying, like, let them be under God's curse. He's saying, send them to hell. Don't listen to these things. It's not real. Being in Idaho, this is a clear warning against the Mormon faith. As in the history of the Mormon faith, it is believed that on September 22nd, 1827, the prophet Joseph Smith received the plates from the angel Moroni, and the angel Moroni appeared to Joseph Smith five times. And the Lord prepared Joseph Smith to obtain these golden plates, which became the Mormon faith. They're preaching another gospel. And their gospel specifically is saying it came from another it came from an angel. It's a false gospel. So don't toy with those things. Don't let those things mess with your mind. Because Jesus is not one of the ways to God, but he makes it abundantly clear in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not someone, some people come to the Father through me. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. So we can't look at the beauty of nature and be saved. We aren't saved through meditation or positive thinking or yoga or, you know, centering yourself. All things that it's like, all right, that's, you know, that's fine. But we're only saved through Jesus Christ. And that's the thing we want to hold on to. We want to stay true to what the gospel is. So Paul says there's people that will pervert the gospel. Those preach a completely different one. And then there's people that will complicate the gospel and will make it confusing. In Paul's day, it was done through, you know, adding things on where it was like Jesus plus something makes you saved. And honestly, we, we, this is where we land today. This is where we find a lot of stuff in our, in our current cultural framework. Because the gospel is complicated when we add anything onto the work of Jesus. Whether it's works-based, knowledge-based, or even morality-based. It's when we add little things that are preferences or personal convictions into the category of importance for the gospel. Some of us that grew up in the, or some of you guys that grew up in the church in like the 90s, you know, there's all these silly jokes about these things where it's like, hey, we don't watch Harry Potter because that's sorcery. You know, like, oh gosh, we don't, can't do that. You know, oh, we don't watch Disney because of this or that. Or, hey, we don't, we don't listen to secular music because we think it's going to, like, twist us up because there's these documentaries or all these different things. And there may, be, there may be truth in some of those things. But those aren't gospel things. So we see the gospel getting complicated where we take these things and we bring them in. It's another thing is parenting. Parenting is a huge one where we complicate the gospel. It's like, oh, you spank your kids? You're crazy. It's like, you don't spank your kids? Well, you're not faithful. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. But this is the deal. We complicate it. We make it challenging and we, we add all these extra layers that aren't supposed to be there. We also see the gospel being complicated in really big areas. And these are things that are important, but they aren't the main things. We see it where in the rise in Christian nationalism. I want to be really clear from this stage. I don't believe Jesus is trying to make America a Christian nation. I, I love the United States, and I'm so thankful that I am a United States citizen. But I don't believe that is the goal. When Jesus 
goes in, he doesn't overtake with brute force, but he overtakes in his, he's sub subversive in his approach and he engages at the heart level and changes communities from the inside out. It's not a dominance. You know, political distractions, sexual identity issues. There's so many things that we can get distracted with in the church and get, get mixed up in. We live in a very complex time where there is no easy answers for what feels like anything. And where we are battling a world that is built on sound bites and getting half of the information most of the time. Because here's really the core of it. The gospel itself is inclusive. It brings people in. It doesn't keep people out. Those gospels that are perverted or complicated, they will keep people based out on their actions. It won't call them in. And that doesn't mean that the gospel doesn't transform and change our lives because that's, that's my next point. Where the gospel is, there will be transformation. Paul in his own story, starting in verse 13, he says, For you have heard of how I lived, how intensely I persecuted the church, and how I wanted to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism and moving, you know, I was at the top of the class. But when God set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, he called me to reveal his son, that I might preach him not to the Jews, not to the chosen, but to the rest of the world. This is essentially Paul's testimony. He went from being a persecutor, a killer, to the, you know, a religious zealot, to the one who was pushing the mission forward and seeing people come to know Jesus in a very powerful and meaningful way. But what I love is Paul isn't prideful. He doesn't stand there and say, I've achieved it and I've done it and I'm perfect. He still stands there and he says, I'm a broken person being made more and more into the image of Jesus every day. In church, that's the kind of people we need to be. He was a changed man. We need to be a changed people. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you think our gospel is authentic? Where is it not touching in your life? Your sexuality, your politics, your love of your fellow man, your emotional health, your spiritual health. Because church, if the gospel is authentic, then we should not, then should it not have absolute authority into every aspect of our lives? From how we parent, parent, how we connect relationally with our friends, our family, our spouses, how we work, how we play, how we rest, how we answer those deep questions inside of our hearts. Because we don't come this morning for a good sermon or for kids' ministry. But we come because we want to meet with Jesus. Because we say, I know I need the gospel this morning. Because most people today in our city at the gas station or the grocery store or at the schools or neighborhoods, they may reject the church because of what they see. They may not know 
They may not really know the gospel. They may not have seen a transformed person. In church, that's what we need to be. We need to be a people that are transformed. And maybe you're like, well, what do you mean? Like, what do I need to be transformed into? You need to be transformed into Jesus. You're like, I don't know what that looks like. Read the Gospels and look at how he interacts with people, how he weeps with people, how he heals and, and is willing to be interrupted. How he's patient. Like I look at Jesus and I go, man, I have so much to, to grow in. And people may and they will reject us, but let them reject us because of the gospel that we hold so dear and not, not based on our words and our actions and our lives being untouched. Because there is no other gospel than that of Jesus said the word gospel I think 800 times in the sermon and what that means is good news there is no good news apart from Jesus no eternal life hack no self help book no podcast no TED talk but God has given us an authentic gospel for authentic people he expects it to actually touch and to work in our real everyday lives I'm somebody that really loves stories I love a really good story and there's this book that I used to read to my oldest daughter it's called You Are Special and I can't read it to this day I still can't read it without just sobbing by the end of it so I highly recommend it it's very good it's by Max Lucado but the thing about that story is it can move me to tears because of what it's communicating in, the, in the, the, the story. But at the end of the day, it's just that. It's just a story. The things I'm talking about this morning, the scriptures that we're holding and reading this morning, they speak of a man you know, the God-man that came down from heaven because he knew that we had all, we've all sinned and fallen short of who God calls us to be and living into the glory that he calls us to be. And in his love, he has chosen not to leave us in a place where we are deserted and alone and just clawing our way up this mountain. But he comes and he dies, paying the price for our sin and standing in the seat of of, or standing in, in the place of God's wrath and judgment so that you and I don't have to. And rising on the third day, defeating Satan, defeating sin and ultimately death and giving us the opportunity to be seen no longer as sinners, as broken, but as children, as righteous to once again have the ability to be in relationship with him. And as we hold these elements this morning, do you realize what these symbolize? Jesus isn't just a story. 
he had physical nails driven through his wrists and through his feet. He had actual people spitting on him and mocking him and, and kill him, kill him eventually. As we hold these elements this morning, may we take in the sacredness of what these represent. Because they aren't just a story, and they aren't just something to make us feel better. But they're for us to remember our Lord who he, as he suffered for you and I, so that we can be one with him again. And so it's with that, let's pray as we prepare to eat and drink. Father, we thank you that we, what we have is not just a story, but it is real. You physically walked the earth and died and rose again so that we could be, have new life with you. And Jesus, may that, may that hit our hearts in a very meaningful way. We're blown away when someone buys groceries for us or does some kind gesture, but Lord, you sacrificed yourself for us. And so as we hold the bread, Lord, we remember that you were physically here and that you, you were beaten and you were whipped and you were hung on the cross. And Lord, as you hung on the cross, we remember as we hold the cup, your blood pouring down the cross. Lord, what was meant to be an act of shame, Lord, you've turned into one of the most beautiful things that's ever been. The most sacrificial act of love that can ever be done. And so, Lord, we do, we, we hold these elements and we remember who we are and we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful that, that you have come to renew us and to give us new life with you. And that at the table, we are all sinners in need of saving. And we are all recipients of your love and grace this morning. And so, Father, we hold these elements and may we take and may we eat them in faith, believing that and remembering the good that you have done. And just may you continue to do your good work in each of our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take and eat together.